Well, it's not a stretch to say that I grew up in a busy house. Uh, one of my earliest memories of riding around with my dad is be uh, leaving the house, and this was before you know Bluetooth synced uh, cell phones. And so, remember when they first you know first you had the bag phone and the tower, the, the antenna on top that you ran a cord to, and then you had like the big cube phone. Uh, but, but somewhere in the middle of that, they started wiring up a, a speaker and you could stick it up there by your visor, you know, and you could run it in. And so you essentially had the speakerphone uh, deal uh, ahead of its time. And so my dad, uh, who was on the phone all day long, every day, uh, loved that speakerphone. So we'd be leaving the house and, you know, the first call on the list starts and he's driving a five speed pickup and he's eating a bowl of cereal and he's driving with his knee. You know, yeah, yeah, it's good. How's it going today? You know, and he's just eating that way. And oh, hey, Ryan, have a good day at school or whatever it was. I mean, just from the beginning, it was it was busy. And so, you know, you can read there's pages and pages and pages and articles and articles and articles of data. that would try to tell us what we already know, that we live in a busy culture. And by the way, being busy is not always the same thing as working hard, right? How many of you know you can be busy and not be working that hard? So people manage to do it all the time. Uh, but we we're, we have shortened attention spans, uh, lack of physical and emotional availability. Uh, I, I know this. I, I experienced this. I know what this is like to be at the end of my rope because I'm maxed out on commitments and I'm maxed out on connections. And it's just like I need a break. There are physical and psychological effects of being too busy. There are spiritual effects of being too busy. Uh, one reason that we lose interest in God, one reason that we disengage from church life, one reason that we struggle to connect with people is failing to enter God's rest. Failing to enter God's rest in the scripture that Bob read for us. So we turn now to Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to walk through this text together. In the very first verse, it starts out, let us fear. Let us fear that this might not happen. Now, when you see this phrase, let us fear in Scripture, there are times where it's proper like fear. But most of the time, when you see fear in Scripture, the fear of the Lord, it's referring not to a servile fear that you would have like the fear of someone harming you. It's the fear that is proper awe and wonder before the majesty of God. So uh, the Psalms talks about, right, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Isaiah 11, when we look at the, the gifts that are there that we've kind of appropriated as the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fear of the Lord is high on the list. This is a gift from God that reminds us that we don't make the world turn and that we don't save ourselves. That's God's job. And we get in on that work. So that's the fear of the Lord kind of sets us right, gets us in the right frame of mind to enter into God's presence. So let us fear what? What is the writer of Hebrews telling us? Let us fear that we not miss out on what? And again, it's the failure to enter God's rest. The failure to enter God's rest. So the question this morning what is God's rest, first of all? What in the heck does that mean? And how do we enter God's rest? First, what is God's rest? Well, God's rest is a gift. It's something that God has made available to us because He loves us. He wants to give us 
rest. There are three types of rest in this text right here. And the first one is just simply God's rest, as Bob read, after six days of creating the heavens and the earth and people and the whole mix, God rested. God's purpose in resting and giving us a day of rest every seven days is a sign of the covenant. It's a sign of God's promise to be connected to his people, to live among us and be available to be worshipped and to be trusted in. So six days, if you remember back to the creation story, there are six days that are marked by a beginning and an end. And it sounds like this at the end of what God created that day. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And there was evening and there was morning the third day and so on and so on until we get to six and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And did you notice that on the seventh day that God rested, there's no time marker. There's no morning and evening. It's signaling to us that God's rest is eternal. God's rest doesn't have, in that sense, a beginning or an end. It's eternal. So at the core of God's entire creation enterprise is communion, right? Communion between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They enjoy this loving communion, and therefore God shares that communion with God's people, with us. And so we were reminded when we look at the subject of God's rest that as wonderful as our work is, and it is wonderful, and we finish summer, we'll talk about that Labor Day weekend, how wonderful God's work is, the work that he does and the work that he has for us to do. Even before the fall of Adam and Eve and the fall of humanity, work was good, but somehow cannot fulfill us at the core of who we are. No matter how wonderful our work, and how much we enjoy our work, there's a part of that work that just cannot fulfill who I am and who you are. So Sabbath rest, God's rest, becomes that place for us. It's a weekly predictable reminder that God is the one who created the world, that God is the one who keeps the world spinning, and surprise, surprise, it's not me <laughs> and it's not us. Uh, if you've heard me preach on Sabbath before, you've heard me quote a man named Abraham Joshua Heschel, who wrote a book in the 50s just called The Sabbath, uh, a Jewish man who wrote what's considered the textbook on Sabbath. And uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel says that there are six days that we seek to dominate the world. There are six days that our hands are involved. But on the Sabbath day, we seek to dominate the self. We turn from our hands to our soul. And we reconnect with God. Sabbath is the goal of our work, not the other way around. Right? We, I used to think that we rested so that we could work better. <laughs> That's again probably a signal of how I grew up in my house. You better get some rest because you're going to work hard tomorrow. <laughs> so if you get a chance to rest, you better do it because you don't know when you're going to get it again. But it's actually backwards. The goal of our work is Sabbath, is rest. So all the days of the week move towards, in our case, Sunday, or for Jews, Saturday. So much so, and it's been such a change in my mind, that I've actually switched my electronic calendar from Sunday starting the week to Sunday being the end of the week. So my week on my calendar starts on Monday and ends on Sunday, just even visually and with all of my appointments to remind myself that Sunday is the goal 
of the work, not the other way around. So God's rest, that's the first kind. The second kind of rest in the text is Joshua's rest. Now, what is Joshua's rest? Well, remember, Joshua is the one, and him and Caleb, well, they were they were sent as spies to look at the promised land that God wanted to send his people to. So they've been wandering around the desert for 40 years. And then Moses sends out these spies, right? And Caleb and Joshua are among them. And all the spies but Caleb and Joshua say, hey, it's a nice land, but there's big dudes over there and we're afraid. And we don't think it's a good idea to go over there. Joshua and Caleb are the only ones that have the faith to say, hey, we can do this. And so Joshua ends up being the one that leads God's people into the promised land. And so that's what Joshua was able to do. That's Joshua's rest. But the text, the writer of Hebrews says, but if Joshua's rest, if he had actually given the people rest, then there wouldn't still be a rest available to us. So even though Joshua physically took God's people to the promised land, there's still an element of rest that's available for us and still an element of rest that is so eternal that it can't be located in just one place in one time for one people. So third kind of rest in the text is the rest that's captured by all the language about seven days and it talks about today, right? Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts today. Well, this was written, you know, almost 2,000 years ago. So what's the writer of Hebrews saying today? Well, that, their today is different from our today. But there's a lot of imagination in the word today. Remember, Paul talks about this. Today is the day of salvation. And just as it was true for the churches that Paul was writing to, it's true for us today. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you and I hear God's voice, let us not harden our hearts. Let us enter into God's rest. So the word today sort of captures this action of God, that wherever Christ is, wherever Jesus is, there's something that's happening today. So today can be broken up, and God's rest in that sense, can be broken up into a future reality and a present reality. So we talked about how God's rest is eternal. So it's been going on for a long time, and it will be going on forever, and we look forward to that as God's people. We call this place and this space where Christ is heaven. Wherever Jesus is, is heaven. So when we die and die in the Lord and we go to be with the Lord and we get a resurrection body, that's heaven. When you and I worship Jesus together with Christ's people and Christ is present, that's heaven. Heaven is so grand and so large that it spills over across time and space. It's not just confined to a place that we go when we die. But it's actually happening here on earth in places now. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's presence, a future reality. So, But it's not just about later. It's not just about the future. So it's about God's present reality, the rest that is available to us. Again, Abraham Joshua Heschel says that Sabbath is a window into eternity. Every Sabbath, every time we rest and enjoy God and enjoy our families and enjoy one another, it's a window into eternity. It gives us a glimpse of what eternity is like. Communion with God, beginning in one sense in baptism, like Hebrews talks about in chapter 10, and being fulfilled 
in the life to come. When we all have gone on to be with the Lord, Christ has returned, and we join Him in final victory. Okay, so that's the what. That's God's rest. That's the grand vision of Sabbath. But how? How do we enter into that rest? I mean, how do we get there? How do we get in on this good rest that God gave to His people as a gift? Well, this text tells us that one of the ways we must, one of the things we must do to get in on God's rest is to believe. To believe in Jesus Christ. To have a quality of faith in God. And this is our work that we participate in, but it's also a gift. None of us can believe in Jesus without the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit draws us and prompts us and makes it possible for us to believe in Jesus and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If any of us have been able to do that, it was because God empowered us to do that. And then we join our will to God's will and we wrestle that out and we participate in that believing life for the rest of our lives, hopefully. That's at least the vision. So, we believe in Jesus. We believe in God. In this number story that Hebrew writer brings up, this Caleb and Joshua bit, uh, it reminds us that past belief, even those of us that have believed long ago, and we just continue to believe that this, the work of believing requires constant attention. It requires constant nurturing. It's like a tree that's growing and it requires rain and all the stuff and we have to nurture it. We have to keep it growing. There were Israelites, our ancestors, who were saved by God by coming through the Red Sea. They were saved from the Egyptians. They were saved from slavery. And still some of those people who were saved they missed out on God's rest. They missed out on the promised land. And so God, talking to Moses and talking to the gang, he says, they didn't believe me. They keep turning their back on me. I keep reaching out to them and they keep turning back. So God uses this phrase. He tells Moses, I will disinherit those people. Whoa, disinherit. So rest is all about the inheritance that we that belongs to us as the people of God. It's the greatest inheritance of all. But without maintaining that faith and growing in our faith and keeping it going, we fall away. Disinheritance. So, it is possible to rest from our work and still miss out on God's rest. So I can stop working and still miss God's rest because just stopping working is kind of part A. But believing and trusting and growing in our faith that's the next piece. So resting from work without believing does not get us to rest. But we must tend to this work of faith, learning and maturing in our faith. While that is true, that we can rest from our work and still miss out on rest because we don't believe, it is also true that entering God's rest does require us to rest from our labor. That's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. So, there's kind of a practical aspect. You know, it's the believing work, and I guess believing is very practical too, but in terms of the nuts and bolts stuff that we do on a weekly basis to rest, or sometimes monthly or daily or whatever, uh, what are the things that we do to enter into God's rest? Just the everyday, ordinary stuff. And I like to think of these as activities 
that remind us that we are beloved. So if you can just think about anything you do on the day of rest that reminds you that you belong to God, anything that reminds you that you've come through those waters of baptism and that God has said about you, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, and with you I am well pleased. Any activity you can do that gets you back to that, that's gold. That's bingo. That's what Sabbath rest is all about. So, enjoying God via enjoying His creation, enjoying one another, meals, sleep, space, security, right? These things that remind us that we are beloved. I mean, if you've got young children at home, I'm telling you, nap is like the holiest Sabbath activity that you can get. If you can find a nap, that's that's golden. You are on your way to paradise right there because you just don't get those windows. So finding that space to sleep is one of the greatest ways that you can be reminded that God loves you. Go to sleep. God loves you. Get some rest. So this is the work of boundaries, kind of creating safe spaces so that we can rest. Um, it takes a lot of skill to get there sometimes. I love to watch my wife when she's kind of on a on a cleaning tear. Okay, so there's the maintenance cleaning, and then there's like, I'm on a cleaning tear, stay out of my way, or you're going to the dumpster with everything else. So, and I mean, she just is systematic and starts at one end of the house, and it's just moving. And we've all learned to kind of stay a little out of the way, but to be ready for when it's, hey, I need you to do this and do this and build this and fix that and hang that and boom. And so that's part of the work of learning. That is getting ready for Sabbath. Because it's hard to rest when we have all these projects and things looming around us. I was just talking to a neighbor the other day, and he was like, man, I've, I've got this project, and I've walked by it a hundred times, and this weekend, I had enough. <laughs> I had to do it. It's time, right? And we've all been there. So we work hard, and, the, and our Jewish ancestors, they work hard on the day leading up to Sabbath. You know, they got their six days. So on that sixth day, man, they're working hard. They're cooking. They're cleaning. They're getting everything ready. So that on the seventh day, it's just calm, calm waters, right? We're done with our work, and now we can rest. But it takes a lot of work to be able to rest. Or what about showing up for worship on Sunday morning in a nice air-conditioned space where there's not pews, or excuse me, there's well, there's not pews scattered around either, but there's not bulletins from last week scattered all over the place or coffee left out or spilled in the floor and the bathrooms are clean and the sound system works and all the little things that happen behind the scenes, our maintenance team and people that work hard to make Sunday morning worship as we know it, a possibility. Preparing for Sabbath. So I was kind of picking on my dad for being busy earlier. Um, but he really did set us up well for learning to imagine what Sabbath is. And uh, one of the re reasons I know this is because my dad was a tireless worker, tireless worker, and the only day that that changed was on Sunday. We had to do chores and all that stuff early, early, so that we could make it to church and so we could make it to the Cowboys game. And those things were part of rest, right? You go, you go to church, you go eat with your family, and you make it to the Cowboys game. In the old days, it was recorded on the VCR, and you go watch, and you prop your feet up, and that's day. So I learned that that was one of the rhythms of life, that we, we have to stop and eat ice cream and enjoy one another to enjoy God's rest. So we're motivated by God's reward, by the promise that is made to us in Scripture, that we can still enter God's rest. So the passage ends saying, let us therefore strive to enter that rest 
so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So it's my salvation and your salvation, yes. I'm a part of us, you're a part of us. But what about fellow Christians and those who have never heard the gospel or they've forgotten the gospel so that no one may fall? This is a big project. And how can we work together to make sure that friends and neighbors don't miss out on God's rest? So in conclusion, let us not miss out on God's ever-present and eternal rest. Today, if you, if I, hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts, but believe and enter that rest. Amen.